just to give you a little brief uh, review of the context of where we are in terms of our vision for 2024, we had talked about a threefold cord. We talked about joining together three aspects that we want to focus on this year, and that is consecration. And uh, also we talked about conversation, wanting to become more conversive and maybe get out of our bubbles a little bit and have an opportunity to share the gospel with others, even talk and panel discussion, some of the things that we're going to be adding to our Wednesday night repertoire. And so we talked about consecration. We're really focusing on uh, consecration uh, this week uh, specifically and what we can do to, to just really dedicate ourselves in 2024 uh, to be in more intentional, intentional in our discipleship of Christ, intentional in our spiritual disciplines, intentional in soul winning, and really what the mission of the church is and how we can consecrate ourselves to him in a more organized fashion, in a more uh, tangible way. So we talked about principles of much more in 24, but we wanted to um, focus on that threefold cord that's not easily broken. So this week, we, we have talked about consecration. We have an evangelist that's with us today, Brother Caleb Herring, who's preached here a uh, number of times, going to be blessed by his ministry today. And Brother Dylan was with us Wednesday night. We are just talking about dedicating ourselves um, through prayer and fasting on a 30-day on a uh, prayer as we begin this year. So this is uh, something that I want to sort of add to it and really uh, talk a little bit about the strengthening of the stakes. We read in Ecclesiastes about how that we have to uh, stretch the curtains and we have to strengthen the stakes and we have to lengthen the cords. And we believe that lengthening the cords uh, is ministry and that's really uh, our outreach. And uh, we believe that we can, uh, we can do that through uh, soul winning, we can do that through reaching out to our neighbors, our coworkers, and so that's a way that we can lengthen our cords. We're going to be talking about that, ministries that are beyond uh, these four walls. But consecration is where we really focus on strengthening the stakes. And I want to talk a little bit about that uh, today and add to it some of the other things that we have discussed. But Hebrews chapter 6 is where we'll begin our reading. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ... Let us go on unto perfection, not laying aside the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And then reading uh, over in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, in what we know is a sister passage, it simply says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I want to talk this morning in this Bible study class a little bit about what exactly is the substance of our faith. What, what is the core, what is the foundation, as it were? And why is it something that we should treasure 
and endeavor to strengthen on a regular basis. The first, uh, the first thing that I want to try to uh, unpack this morning is these verses in Hebrews chapter 6 that says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. I want us to pause for a moment and take this into consideration that that passage is not saying that we are to leave or to abandon the principles of the doctrine of Christ. And sometimes that may be misinterpreted, but you'll notice that the semicolon is after perfection. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. This is more speaking in terms of building upon. You don't just build a building and just redo the foundation over and over again. You, you would never be able to build anything. So you build a foundation, and then you go on to building upon that foundation. And so he says here, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, then semicolon, not laying again the foundation of repentance. In other words, you don't want to just go back and have to keep reestablishing what you believe. I believe that a lot of times, uh, certainly in modern Christian America culture, that people really don't know what they believe. They believe whatever's convenient. We, we've often said this when we go into third world countries and even when we were reaching into uh, Cuba, that because it had been closed for so long when we started making inroads into Cuba and going in and doing ministry training, before we even had a crusade, we spent a number of uh, uh, training sessions with uh, the pastors and the churches that we had there because for uh, an extended period of time, it had become their culture, not just Cuba, other countries, but this is one that's just coming to my mind right now, is that they would kind of just believe whatever the next highest bidder. In other words, if one church came in and they taught a certain belief but they were willing to bring money into it, then they believed that. And then if somebody else came in and they came preaching, teaching this, then they, were, they, they all believed that. In other words, they just kept shifting what they believed based on who the next latest you know, people were to come. You, when you are constantly having to adjust what you believe, you can't really go on unto perfection. There's things that you have to settle. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is doctrine. And, and I know we live in a culture that doesn't think that doctrine is important anymore. You know, we've talked about this uh, Sunday night. We're going to continue to talk about it this month as we lay the foundation of the vision for this year. But, you know, we talked about how that we have to look at uh, church as having an upper room and a lower room. And the lower room is what people initially see. It's what people are initially attracted to as it relates to a local church. And they, they say it's the four Ps, the place, the campus, uh, the, the, uh, the personality, whether or not they like the, the leadership, uh, the programs, what, what can you do for my marriage, what can you do for my family, what kind of programs do you have for my kids, the youth, and so forth. And then the fourth one is people. My friends go there, my coworkers go there, my family goes there. And so all of those things are not evil, that's just natural. It's just the things that we are attracted to. 
But what they found, uh, especially through COVID, as they uh, study the, the advancement and the growth of church, uh, especially in North America, is that if people were only connected to a church on that lower room, those four Ps, then it changed a lot. There was not a lot of stability. Uh, it was a, there was, the roots weren't down yet. And so the way that you and I can actually become disciples of Christ is that we have to go to the upper room. And so our goal as a church, especially this year as we talk about much more in 24, our goal as a church is to build stairs and pathways where we can move from the lower room to the upper room. And what's in the upper room? Well, the upper room is purpose and passion and prayer and proclamation. We got our four Ps for the upper room as well. <laughs> Amen. And that, that's just the, the, the way that I focus on what we need to do as we get much more of him in 2024. You can't get there without prayer. The Bible says that. He told his disciples, these things cometh not but by prayer and fasting. And, and then you've got to have purpose. You've got to know why you do what you do. You have to be passionate about it. And this is one reason why I believe that the Pentecostals, the apostolics in North America, maybe didn't suffer as much through COVID as the, this is who we are. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's a part of our DNA. It's our foundation. It's not just, well, I go to church there because I make the most business contacts there. And I go to church there because it's the closest one to my house and, and all of these other things. This is who we are. And so most, I believe, apostolics were in the upper room. In the upper room, there's much more stability. There's an establishment. You can't get to the upper room unless you go through the lower room. So it's not that we're against the lower room, but we have to lay upon that foundation. I think that's what Hebrews is talking about. We're not going to abandon anything, but we've got to go on unto perfection. We've got to go deeper in him. The Bible says that the deep calleth unto the deep. And so this is what we're talking about when we're talking about more in 24. And I just want to go one step further as we talk about those four P's in the upper room, and that is proclamation. When you look at what the Jewish council, what they fought against, those uh, early apostolics that had been with Jesus, when you look at what put that, why did they, they go into prison and what was the big conflict? It was about them preaching the doctrine of a resurrected Christ them preaching the doctrine of Jesus' name baptism. It was the proclamation. Because when the council, and they put them in prison, they'd get out and they'd get, go back in prison, they'd go out and back in prison. When that conflict was about them preaching. It wasn't about them praying for the sick and the sick being healed. It wasn't even so much about the crowds. It was about them preaching about Jesus. Now let me say this. There's always going to be a challenge about preaching and teaching and soul winning. If you're just going to stay there on your, uh, you know, your campus and not affect anybody or anything else, nobody's going to mess with you. But as soon as you take new territory, as soon as you start proclaiming who Jesus is, that's whenever you ruffle feathers. Thank you so much. That's whenever you, you find yourself in a place where you don't have uh, all the, the popular opinion, as it were, of, uh, uh, of the... Uh, of the masses, if we can say it that way. And so 
we have got to continue, even though it's not always popular, we got to keep on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got to keep doing it because truth matters. Doctrine matters. The Bible said it's the truth that will set you free. It's not programs. It's not personalities. It's not beautiful buildings. It's the truth that will set you free. And so we have got to embrace doctrine. I believe this with all of my heart. And so as the writer of Hebrews continues to establish, he says, not let us go on into perfection, not laying aside the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the back. Now he, but this list that he gives you is what the foundation is. He reiterates that we are not going to lay aside. We're not abandoning it. We're not saying it's of no importance. We're just got to build on it. Not laying aside the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So repentance, baptism, the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands. We still believe that Jesus is our healer and of the resurrection of the dead. Well, what do we know when we look at the death, burial in Christ, death, burial and resurrection of Christ, what do we know? That's the equivalent of repentance, baptism, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Death, burial, resurrection. The death is repentance. When you repent, the old man dies. Not my will, but thy will be done. There has to be a death that I'm not going to just, you know, pursue what seemeth good in my own eyes. I'm going to submit my will to the principles of God's word. Okay? That's the death. The burial is the baptism. Romans 6, 4, we are buried with him by baptism into death that we shall arise in newness of life. So when we're buried, baptism, there is a, not just a remitting or a removal of our sins, there is this forgiveness that we get in baptism, but then we build upon that with baptism, which is where our record is expunged and there, well, there's a death. And then the resurrection spirit is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's found in the, the, uh, the three things that we read that Peter talked about in Acts chapter 2, and that is repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. This is the saying the same thing. The doctrine of repentance, the doctrine of baptism, laid on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead. What's the resurrection of the dead? The infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's the resurrection spirit. Oh, I'm so thankful that he didn't just leave us with the death and the burial. There is a resurrection that is a part of all of this. The resurrection of the dead. And then I, I want to just make mention of this and of eternal judgment. We can't abandon the revelation, the understanding, the teaching, and the proclamation that there is an eternal judgment. Christianity is not just some utopia society. We are all going to live forever somewhere. And, and we don't want to talk about this anymore, but this is part of that foundation that we have to proclaim. And that is that if you do not live a righteous life, you have not the spirit of God, you are not going to go to heaven. We had a, we had a, a group that was in Israel here a few years ago before COVID. And uh, we were touring uh, different uh, cities. I want to say we were up in the Galilee area, Capernaum area. And uh, somehow our guide had talked to us about Judas and, and the fact he was from that area or something along those lines, some historical fact. And one of the ladies in our group kind of pulled me aside and she said, do you think Judas will go to heaven? 
And I said, the guy who betrayed the Lord and then went out and hung himself? She said, yeah. I said, uh, I don't think so. I mean, if there's anybody in the Bible that may not make it, it would be Judas. She said, I hate to think that anybody would not go to heaven. And I said, I hate to think of it either, but there is a reality that, you know, if you betray the Lord, if you sell him for 30 pieces of silver, and then you're dealing with the guilt by going and hanging yourself, you didn't leave this world on the right path. And she said, I, I just have a hard time believing him. That is a microcosm of the mentality of the culture that you and I are a part of. We don't want to believe that anybody would go to hell. But I'm going to tell you something right now. It is a part of our foundation that there is an eternal judgment. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And we may not want to, we want to all be, you know, happy and hold hands and sing kumbaya and pretend that there's no fiery furnace. But the Bible says uh, that there is a hell. The Bible talks about the fire of hell. The Bible talks about eternal judgment. Now, I, I don't, it's not his will that anybody would go. Nobody's looking to put people in hell. But the bottom line is there has to be an understanding that there is a reality about who you and I are, the way that we live, and the consequences of our actions. And oh, my friend, I know we focus on heaven a lot because we got a positive, we got a good news, we got a gospel that's a, a, that gives hope to people. But you know what? If you have an opportunity to serve God and you choose not to and live like the devil, you'll probably go to hell. I know nobody's going to shout about that, but I'm going to lay the foundation of what our doctrine is. And so we, we have... The Bible said, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You've got to have it. So that's not in my notes, but I feel like that's a part of this foundation. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on and talks about the substance of our faith. And I think that's so, uh, it's so important. When you, when you talk about faith, sometimes we think of it in terms of just this intangible uh, aspect of, you know, uh, believing and sometimes it's not easy uh, for us to get our arms around because it relates to this, uh, this intangible aspect of believing. But the Bible says that there's, there's substance to our faith. And I got to thinking, what exactly is that? What is it that we can, we can have to sort of hang our hat on uh, that gives us uh, something that is tangible? as it relates to faith. It's the substance. The definition of substance is the ultimate reality that underlies all outward manifestations and change, a physical material from which something has discrete existence. Substance makes things tangible. It makes it uh, powerful. It makes it meaningful. It makes it useful. It moves it from abstract into reality, you know, that, that, let me give you an example of this. Um, we have a couple of people here in our church that are pilots and, uh, back in the eighties, I got my private pilot's license. I've always been fascinated with, with flying and planes and all that. There, there is, uh, well, for many years, what was known as the, the theory of lift. And it, it was a principle. They, they discovered this back when they were experimenting with, with flying machines. And they found that you know, as air rushes across uh, the front camber of a wing, 
uh, that it, it changes, the pressure changes if it has a further distance to travel going over the top of the wing as it does the lower part of the wing, that the pressure changes. And when the pressure changes, the pressure is greater uh, underneath the wing because it has a shorter distance to travel than it is above the wing. So they started testing all of these uh, different, they, and back in the day, of course, Wright Brothers and all that, they tested it with these massive machines. They just said run, run, run like the Kitty Hawk in North Carolina, and they finally get it in the air. But as they advance, they begin to test different structures of wings and put them in wind tunnels and all of this. So the, the theory of it was that you could get something very heavy up in the air by uh, having long enough wings and going fast enough and and you know you had to combine you know thrust with drag and lift and all these different things had to come together but it was a it was a it was a theory it was uh something that was uh experimenting through uh these laws of nature to try to capture and so it, i'm sure at that stage it was very intangible but it became a reality when you see a big old massive you know, 747 get up off the ground and fly across the ocean, then there is substance to that theory of lift. In fact, it's not even a theory anymore. It's a doctrine. <laughs> now, what's the difference between a theory and a doctrine? It's been proven. And it's proven over and over and over again. So when we preach about the plan of salvation, we don't have a theory of salvation. We have a doctrine of salvation. You say, well, what, what, what makes it that? Because over and over again, it's been proven substantively. That's the substance of faith. Uh, what is the substance of faith? The substance of faith is action. The substance of faith is action. We, it, it's one thing to say, you know, I believe. It's another thing to act upon what you believe. When you act upon what you believe, you are putting substance to your faith. This is why truth matters. And, and when you go all the way back to the New Testament church, in those early weeks especially of the church, right after the day of Pentecost, there's, a, there's an amazing revival that, that some historians guess to be so expansive that possibly 50,000 people were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name in the short period of time that followed the ascension of Jesus. And the tension that was created, we, we referred to it earlier, this revival in the Jewish council and the disciples being arrested and threatened by the council and delivered from prison and back and forth, the, the, the tension of it was the preaching that Jesus was resurrected. That was the crux of the whole matter, that Jesus was resurrected. Because if Jesus is resurrected, then you and I can have a part of a resurrected spirit. Oh, hallelujah. So if I can say it this way, the Jewish council may have looked at it as a theory, but the disciples didn't preach it as a possibility. The disciples preached it as a doctrine. Now, why was that? Because they saw the resurrected Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. It wasn't theory. When you believe something, it may be intangible, but then whenever you see it come to pass. I, I remember as a young uh, uh, evangelist, I, I began to seek the Lord for uh, the gifts of the Spirit and, uh, and uh, having 
discernment and, and the gift of faith and healing and, and all these different things, you know. And uh, I started praying and fasting and seeking the Lord for uh, the, these gifts. And, 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 and the Lord started speaking to me and saying, if you believe, you shall receive. I don't know about you, but a lot of times the Lord speaks to me. He points me to a verse in the Bible. That's, again, this is the substance of your faith. This is why the word is so important. Don't put the word aside. There's a lot of different aspects to the substance of our faith. It's our own personal experience, yes. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. Nobody can tell you, hey, that wasn't real. Oh, it's real. And you are in a position of being an expert witness if you've experienced it. You have firsthand knowledge. You're not even taking it from a grandparent or a friend or a coworker. You have known him for yourself. Those disciples that followed Christ, this is why the Bible said that Jewish council, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus when they perceived their boldness. Because when you have been with Jesus, when you know it for yourself, they weren't even afraid to go to a position of martyrdom and to give their life for it. You know why? They weren't just believing some story that had been told them. They had seen him. They knew him. They had experienced that relationship. Oh, my friend, I feel like God is going to take us to the upper room where we have a personal experience with him. You can know him for yourself. Hmm. That resurrection spirit, that, that's part of our foundation. That's part of the, the substance uh, of our faith. And it was this proclamation, Acts chapter 4 and verse 18 said, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. What was the secret to this amazing revival that took place? We're, we're still trying to do all that we can in uh, 2024 to stay as closely aligned with that New Testament church as we can. So they baptize in Jesus' name, we baptize in Jesus' name. We pray for the sick, they prayed for the sick. They, uh, they preached uh, baptism in Jesus' name, being filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues, we speak in tongues. Everything we try to do, we try to align as close as we can to that New Testament church. But what really was the secret to that revival? If indeed there was 50,000, I believe we could probably get there fairly easy. One day they had 3,000 that was added to the church. It was an amazing revival, and, and it wasn't programs. It wasn't organizational efforts. It wasn't leadership training or structure. And again, I'm not against any of these things, but when we talk about going to the upper room, we're talking about going a little deeper and strengthening those stakes. But this is where I think the frustrated council described it best when they said in Acts 5.28, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem. With your personality? No. With your buildings? No. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Oh, my friend, doctrine matters. What is doctrine? Doctrine is truth. Doctrine is the substance of our faith. And now it's been proven for over 2,000 years that you can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You can be delivered from alcohol. You can be delivered from drugs. You can have a resurrected spirit. You can be delivered from depression. You can change the way that you think. You can change the way that you act. 
you can become a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's been proven over and over and over and over again. The planes keep getting in the air. People keep getting saved. There is substance to our faith. There is a doctrine. There is a proven formula. I can say it that way that you can sink your teeth into. Oh, I feel my help coming. You can lay your foundation of your life upon it. And he will not ever fail you. He won't leave you. He's not going to change midstream and say, I was just kidding about the last thousand years. No, my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. It was not personality. It was not talent. It was not people skills. It was doctrine. Pure and simple. The church in Jerusalem would not stop proclaiming the doctrine. And God gave them revival. And I tell you, it's the same thing in 2024. It is the doctrine that brings revival. The truth of the doctrine is the engine of revival. The truth of the doctrine is the engine of revival. This is what we need more of in 2024. In our text, some would say, you know, that we have to move on. We, we've established the doctrine. We all know the doctrine, Pastor. Now preach something much more relevant. Preach something that is going to be, you know, relevant to my everyday living. There's nothing in Scripture, in life, that's more relevant than doctrine. There's nothing more relevant than doctrine. What doctrine? The doctrine of repentance? How relevant can that be? Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sins. That's relevant. Because we are born in sin and shaping in iniquity, the Bible says. Someone said, well, I don't know how relevant. That is, that's really relevant. Because you're dealing with sin every day like I deal with sin every day. Because we have a fallen nature. We're not little angels that are running around out here with halos. We're, we're dealing with a fallen flesh. But oh, we've got a redeemer, hallelujah. We've got a God that will forgive us of our sins. That's as relevant as anything. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. They, they say there's different you know, models that you can, uh, you can build a church on. One is a, what they call a performance model. And, and we know there's mega churches that have, everything is a production. It's a, uh, it's all very tightly scripted. It's, it's one hour uh, to the minute, and uh, it's, it's geared for mass production and multiple campuses, and, and everything is, is performance-driven. It's a performance. It's a show. Just as you would go to the King Center and, and, and watch some very uh, tightly scripted production uh, that can just be mass-produced over and over and over again. And uh, this is what a lot of mega churches do, and a lot of people that follow that. But they didn't during COVID because performance is not what will save you. And then there's purpose-driven models, and, and th those have a significance to them. And there's teaching, and there's aspects of that. All of these things are not evil in and of themselves. And then there's personality-driven, which we talked about that. And that's the, the, the charisma of the leader, and we have people that do that. There's a very much a, a celebrity mentality, even in modern-day Christianity of North America. We want to belong to a church with a, a, a mega-pastor, tele-evangelist, whatever, Somebody that has notoriety, that's got some books out or whatever, you know, and they, and everybody says, well, that's the church that I go to. They want to be connected. We all want to be connected 
to something that's bigger than ourselves. And so there is this belief that somehow that's going to cause them to get closer to heaven. I doubt that. I doubt it seriously because no man can save you. I said, no man can save you. And so personality programs, uh, you know, uh, performance, that's not really what was the driving engine of the new Testament church. It was power driven <laughs> power to set the captive free. Hallelujah. Power for the sick to be healed. Power for people to be delivered from evil spirits. Oh, my friend, I've come to tell you, this is still a power-driven church. We need more power of God in our midst. It's not that God has run out of power, but we can't run out of our hunger for power. We need more of him. Everything that we do, we've got to have more of him. So it's got to be power-driven, as it were. And so Hebrews says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. We're going to go on now. We're going to move on. The lower room, we're moving now to the upper room. Let us go on under perfection. We're not going to lay aside the foundation. We're going to reinforce that. We're going to strengthen our stakes. We're going to consecrate ourselves more and more to him. We're not looking to abandon the doctrine. We're going to build upon it. And so we understand that. That's what gives us substance to our faith, to lay down that foundation and to be very solid with it and to say, I'm not going to just, you know, be, uh, you know, wishy-washy and every day get up and, you know, lick my finger and put it in the air and, and see what I believe. What am I going to believe today? You can't ever move on in spiritual maturity until you establish some things. You got to lay a foundation. What a lot, what is the foundation made out of? You, what do they build house? Concrete goes down. Concrete is established because it's supposed to be unmovable, you know? And, and in fact, even before we built this church, they were going to put down a whole bunch of concrete before they could put the steel structure on it. They had to put down concrete. But before they even put down the concrete, they had to do soil samples to find out whether or not the soil on this particular parcel of land here was going to support the concrete. Everything is about the strength of what's under you. You can't. The reason they can build skyscrapers in New York City is because all of Manhattan is one big rock. <laughs> I said it's one big rock. Oh, I, th th you can go tall when you got something solid that you're building upon. <laughs> and it's evident, I believe, from Hebrews 6 uh, that this constant debate is paralyzing. Hebrews 6 is a clear call to end the debate. There must be some foundational truths that are inviolate. In other words, nothing, I'm not going to let anything violate them. Some things must be finally settled for all, all time. This is the anchor of our soul. What, why does an anchor work on a boat? Because you get something heavy enough that's got something that's got prongs on it that it can dig into the sand. And even though the water's moving, even though the sand's moving, we've got an anchor. The doctrine is your anchor. Everything else we do, we can build upon it. We have programs, we have ministries, we have outreaches, but everybody's got to have an anchor. And the Bible said that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. So Hebrews 6 is not a call to move from doctrine, it's to establish it and to uh, lay it up your this, this building of our lives, to put it on something 
that is unshakable. Let's look also at Matthew chapter uh, 7 and verse 24. I got just a few minutes left. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, of course, Jesus is teaching here, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. <laughs> There's that rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Why can apostolic Pentecostals go through COVID and our faith not be affected by it? Because our lives are built upon a rock. How can people lose spouses and even lose loved ones through sickness and our faith, hallelujah, is still strong? It's because it's built upon a rock. You're going to have all kinds of winds of adversity that's going to blow. You've got ups and downs in life. But oh, my friend, when you've got the rock, the solid rock of Christ Jesus, you can withstand anything. Floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house. It fell not, for it was founded upon. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Here he's showing the comparison. And the rains ascended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it because the foundation was so poor that the building collapsed. We have examples of that even here in Florida. I don't know how long ago, some years ago, when that, that big condominium fell down there in, in South Florida. It's the foundation that was affected. When the foundation is affected, the whole building collapses because it's the foundation that holds it up. And so when the foundation is poor, all the labor of constructing it is wasted if the foundation is not strong. And we've all, we've all seen where there's, there seem to be, you know, friends, co-workers, people in the church, they all, everybody seems to be doing good and they appear to be strong in the Lord, yet they suddenly collapse. Maybe it's at a time of stress. Sometimes it appears that it's overnight. It's never overnight. Just like that building didn't fall down in South Florida overnight. The foundation began to crack. The structure began to get a little unsettled. Uh, the foundation is faulty. And so you got to, this is why we're talking about consecration this week. It's why we're talking about strengthening the stakes. It was, it, was, it was never solid or firm in their own hearts. And this is why your, your core beliefs cannot just be up for grabs. They can't just be whoever the, 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 the largest bidder is or whatever the closest church is or whatever the, the most comfortable uh, graphics are. I mean, it has to be more than that. Otherwise, we're just all on the lower, lower floor. But God's calling on us higher, to a higher place. And so our entire lives are shaky if they have the shaky foundation of not knowing what you believe. And sometimes the collapse is, is not so swift or dramatic, but it's just a slow weakening one day after another. This is why you got to go back and strengthen those stakes. you got to go back and say, wait a second, I, I want to reestablish some things in my life. I believe here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I believe you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus uh, because Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is tied to the name uh, of Jesus. I believe Acts 2. I believe Acts 8. I believe Acts 10. I believe Acts 19. Uh, that you've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You've got to have a resurrected spirit. And so even though we don't want anybody to be lost, uh, none of that's going to change the foundation of our faith. Hmm, does that make sense? 
I, uh, I, I, I saw an interview, it's been a number of years ago, and this is sad, but I, I saw an interview uh, a, a number of years ago um, with uh, Oprah Winfrey. They were interviewing her about, she was raised in Sunday school and, and uh, raised in the South, raised going to church and all. And uh, of course, she uh, became very uh, famous, but even before uh, she became famous, in fact, Wintley Phipps, that pastor's right over here uh, in, in this church right here across the street, he told me he used to be a soloist for the Billy Graham Crusade has that great baritone voice, and, and uh, he, he remembered a particular crusade they were doing years ago where a young lady came up and asked for prayer, and he went over there and prayed for her, and uh, she said, I, I'm at a crossroads of my life, and I just need the Lord's blessing. It was Oprah Winfrey. Nobody, nobody knew who she was. He wasn't even on television yet, and so they, they became very close, and she's donated a lot of money to his ministry of helping kids whose parents are in prison or father who's incarcerated and so forth, but through the course of all of that uh, there, there was some spiritual core there uh, to Oprah Winfrey. But as she became famous and money and all the temptations goes with all of that, I, I saw an interview where she said, I, I used to be a believer in Christ until I read the scripture that said that God is a jealous God. And she said, I got to thinking, I don't want to give my life to a God who is a jealous God. And I thought, oh, how sad that somebody didn't explain to you what that meant. That didn't mean God is jealous like man would get jealous and say, well, I just can't believe you talk to her and I'm offended. You're going to be my friend, my only friend. You're going to talk to that person. Well, I, I'm, I'm just offended. That's, you really think God is that weak? The one that sits upon the circle of the earth, that heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool? Do you think that somehow that he is subject to your emotions and your and my rejection? He's God. He's not some pet little Something you picked up at the pet store that looks to you for you to throw him a biscuit. You're serving a mighty God. He's not some little pet project. He's not some little side gig. He's the mighty God in Christ. And the fact that the Bible said he's a jealous God is saying that he's a loving God. He is a God that wants to love you with everything that he has. He's jealous for you. He's passionate about you. That whole, that whole understanding was taken out of context. And I thought, oh, Oprah, I don't know. Maybe Wintley can set up a meeting with you and me. I don't know how we can do this. But you need to know that God is a jealous God is a sign of affinity. It's a sign of affection. It's a sign that he's going to fight for you he's jealous for you. He's not going to let the enemy just destroy your home, destroy your marriage, destroy your family, destroy your wealth. He's not going to do it. He's jealous for you. He's passionate about you. He's singular. That's why he loved Israel so much. He was jealous for Israel. Oh, my friend, we've got a great God, but you've got to understand the doctrine of Jesus. What is our foundation? Ephesians 2.20 and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Someone said, well, I don't know if I want to follow the book of Acts. You know, that's the apostles and prophets. I'd rather follow what Jesus said in the gospel. They're not mutually exclusive. They all agree together. The foundation is the apostles and prophets. Watch this. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Where does the cornerstone sit? On the foundation. The cornerstone is what connects the building to the foundation. It's the apostles' doctrine. But Jesus Christ and his ministry connects us 
to the apostles' doctrine. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say that Jesus is not the foundation, but he's the cornerstone. He's part of the foundation that rests upon the foundation. That's why even in Paul, in his writings, he said, uh, but this I confess unto you, that that which they, you call heresy, so worship I the God of our fathers. Believe in all things which were written in the law and in the prophets. Everything to do with that New Testament church was building upon the prophecies of the Old Testament. It was building upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, it brought the law together. It brought the prophetic uh, utterance and proclamations uh, of those Old Testament men of God together. It brought together the ministry of Jesus Christ. It all came together and established a foundation that has been a strong foundation for more than 2,000 years. So you and I can rest our life upon this Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. You can establish your life on the book of Acts and it will tie into the Gospels and it'll tie into the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets. And so Jesus, the apostles' doctrine, the prophets, the Old Testament, all of them came together to give us this substance to our faith. And I close with these two verses from 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Of course, Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ, Jesus, the chief cornerstone. You can rest your life on the teachings of this word of God, and you will build your life on a strong foundation. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Thank you, Jesus. If you would receive this word and say, Lord, I want to grab a hold of this doctrine with a stronger grip than I've ever had before. I wonder right now if you would just lift your voice unto the Lord and would you receive this? Lord, I receive this into my spirit. Oh, I strengthen those stakes. We move from the lower room to the upper room. More of you, more doctrine, more truth, more teaching, more preaching, more Bible reading, more prayer. Oh, Jesus, let it be a part of our everyday life. Thank you, Lord, that you're our chief cornerstone. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the substance of this faith, Lord. We rest it upon you, Lord. We lay upon the foundation, Lord, of the prophets and the apostles. We receive it into our spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.